Hello, welcome back to the HP Lovecraft Book Club. Uh, in this episode, I'll be continuing my look at the case of Charles Dexter Ward, um, which is his longest work, his uh, most interesting, and one that's, I think, maybe more so than any other story worth coming back to several times. It also happens to be my favorite HP Lovecraft story. So in this episode, I'll be looking at uh, the fourth part of the mutation and a mutation and a madness, which um, follows the the period from from the raising of Joseph Kerwin from the dead, uh, which is what uh, Charles Dexter Ward was sort of always destined to do. Um, you know, that's that was planned for by by Kerwin when he knew he was going to be killed or snuffed out or it's not quite clear to me how he was actually destroyed, whether it was by magic or just killed. But, you know. His essential salts are intact, so he's able to be raised up by his descendant of many generations later, Charles Dexter Ward. So then he's able to come back and kind of continue his his uh, his mission, whatever that is. I, I think one fun thing about the case of Charles Dexter Ward is at, its, at the heart, it's this story of of like a body switching, um, but also of survival after death, alchemy. Uh, the how to awaken the dead and it seems their big interest is awakening famous dead people to get information but there's always that question like what are they raising these dead people for why are they creating this library right so i i think the the concept of a library is so key to the story um in fact it's talked about in the epigraph of the whole novel um Quote, the essential salts of an animal be, may be so prepared and preserved that an ingenious man may have a whole arc of knowing a study. Right? Essentially a library, right? Because he says later on, maybe uh, we might be able to even raise the ancestors, right? And, and get their knowledge. So that seems to be what they, they're doing. But what for? What for? And this, that's where the, the story can, is a little bit more speculative and a little bit fun. It seems they're into deep cosmic stuff because... Charles Dexter Ward eventually warns uh, his friend, uh, Dr. Willett, that leaving Joseph Kerwin alive, uh, he's called Dr. Allen at that point in the story, but leaving him alive is a threat to the whole universe, right? There's suggestions in some of the letters that pass between Joseph Kerwin and some of his friends that they're into deeper stuff. So it's really more this traditional kind of Lovecraftian cultist activity of trying to raise like gods and stuff, the kind of stuff you see in the mythos literature that's come um, after after Lovecraft. And it seems that's what they're into. They're doing something cosmic. It's not just about living forever and, and collecting knowledge. They're collecting knowledge with some specific goal, right? And they're collecting it from a wide variety of people, some of whom are very powerful wizards in their own right. And, of course, I think famously people who read this story get a kick out of this, but he also seems to be raising Ben Franklin. Yeah, but, you know, and so what does Ben Franklin know? We're never told what it is that Ben Franklin knows. Uh, what Lovecraft is kind of imagining he knows, it's all hidden. And, and there's some fun in that because there's, there's that unknown element of what Joseph Kerwin ultimately was up to. But it's certainly something cosmic and dark and, and, and pretty spooky. Um, so anyways, the, we, we, we last uh, picked up, or we, we last, when I, when I last dropped off, I guess, um, when I last looked at this story, we, we ended with the end of part three, the end of chapter three, which is the the raising when Joseph Kerwin has been raised, right? And so we, I think chapter four, uh, a mutation and a madness, it's the most tragic because this is the period in which Charles Dexter Ward is, is outright killed. 
Um, I think it's not entirely clear what the exact date that happened at, but it, it's pretty clear roughly when that happens. Um, so he's killed, but it's also really funny because we see uh, Kerwin trying to pose as his as his descendant of several centuries later, and he doesn't really know how to do it, right? And this is reminds us of something that happens very early in the story, which is we were being we were told that uh, Charles Dexter Ward's his madness seemed to have been evidenced by the fact that he went from having antiquarian interests to modernist and futurist interests. And of course, that makes sense once you know that he was body swapped with Kerwin, because Kerwin, of course, wants to learn about the modern world because he wants to function in it and he wants to to use it to his advantage if, if he can. So, um, yeah, so what is, uh, for a while, it seems that Kerwin is like living in, in his house, like in his, in, under his bed or something. Uh, but eventually we see a lot of back and forth between Charles Dexter Ward um, between his house, his parents' house where he was living, you know, where he's doing all the weird stuff, and this house that he starts to rent at Only Court, which is essentially Joseph Kerwin's old house. Something that, that Charles Dexter Ward figured out much earlier in the story. So he starts spending more and more time there, and of course, that's going to ultimately be where Joseph Kerwin reestablishes himself. And he makes all kinds of excuses about why he has to go there, why he's kind of flipping back and forth, and all he has to do with his research and his, uh, his his growing weird interests, and he's kind of honest about how weird his interests are becoming. But he kind of can't back out now <laughs> at this at this late game. He can't back out, especially now that he's achieved this this goal of awakening his his ancestor. Now, immediately weird stuff starts to happen because we get a uh, little newspaper account suggesting the kind of strange stuff that begins to happen. In, in Providence as a result of this, such as uh, c- cemetery delving. In fact, this, the, one of the tombs that's actually raided is the grave of Ezra Whedon. So we know what Kerwin does with the body parts, right? He uses this magic to raise them and, and extract information from them and he can reduce them to salts again and then raise them again from salts. Um, why Ezra Whedon? Ezra Whedon, of course, was the, if you go back to part two, chapter two of the story, he was the guy who Joseph Kerwin stole the girlfriend from and married uh, and eventually led the posse, or he was a big instigator in the posse that eventually uh, destroyed Joseph Kerwin. So he's probably after a little bit of revenge, but maybe he's seeking something. Maybe there's something else he knows or has some connection to. Maybe something he saw in the crypts. You know, there's a reason he's after after him. Um, in the newspaper account, there's even a mention of the the raid on the Kerwin house. Just like, you know, there were rumors or documents suggesting that he was into some kind of weird stuff, and and he was, you know, invo- quote he was involved in a very peculiar circumstances not dishonorable to himself shortly before the revolution. Um, but it's not clear why, you know, this old grave is being disturbed. Uh, we also have dogs, you know, barking and, and going crazy, which is something that's going to be, that's kind of foreshadowed something we see in Whisper in Darkness, where dogs play a major role in that, that story, kind of comedically in a way. But, but uh, weird stuff begins happening. In fact, the other thing, the third thing we see are these cases of vampirism. Um, so people are being like, even killed in some cases, or at least bitten and, and, and have their blood drank, I guess. And... It's really, really bizarre. Uh, these go on for a while and then they end. And the question is, like, why is Kerwin involved in, like, 
vampirism. It seems he's the one who's involved in this, but why and what's up with that? Um, quote, the aspect of Charles now became very haggard and hunted and all agreed in retrospect that he may have wished at this period to make some statement or confession from which sheer terror withheld him. The morbid listening of his mother in the night brought out the fact that he made frequent ally sallies abroad under cover of darkness and most of the more academic alienists unite in presenting at present and charging him with the revolting cases of vampirism which the press so sensationally reported about this time so they're blaming him for it um quote these cases too recent and celebrated to be detailed mentioned involve victims of every age and type and seem to cluster on two district localities the residential hills at north end near the ward home and the suburban districts across the Cranston line near Patuxic. That's where the only house is. So it's at either the Ward House or at the Kerwin House. Quote, both late wayfarers and sleepers with open windows were attacked, and those who lived to tell the tale spoke unanimously of a thin, lithe, leaping monster with burning eyes, with fashioned its teeth or throat in upper arm and feasted ravenously. So Kerwin's doing this to people, and the question is why? Now, Kerwin's active at night because he's doing grave robbing. So that accounts for the night thing. But why is he eating people? Is it just some, has connected, connected to the fact that he's raised from the dead? Um, there's this suggestion later on of this ravage, this desire for, for blood among the people he raised. And they, they're, like, they're kind of the failed experiments. We'll get to that in the next episode, which uh, gets to the climax of the story and deals with his experiments and what happens to them. But they're like desiring, they're like constantly hungry. But they don't need any food. And does that happen to Kerwin too? I, I think that's the explanation, to be honest. Um, but it's, it's wild. It's wild. It does die down, though. So at one point, he stops doing it. A little bit later in this section. Um, so uh, we also get a little bit about his lab. And he starts to move his laboratory and library over to the only house. So moving on in the story, he eventually buys the toxic bungalow, uh, the... The Kerwin's old old residence, um, and that's when we start to see Kerwin and Charles Dexter Ward out openly together. Although he hasn't yet swapped them, he hasn't gotten rid of Ward yet. Um, but he goes as this Doctor Allen, so it's like he's got like the little like fake mustache or whatever the you know the sunglasses, the, you know the clothes to to fake just being like an acquaintance of his from 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 Europe. This guy Doctor Allen, and he's got this friend. Gomez, who's one of these uh, Bravo Portuguese. We've met the Bravo Portuguese before in uh, Call of Cthulhu. So we know he's up, he's up to no good if he's Bravo Portuguese. In a Lovecraft story, they are all dubious types involved in these weird cults. So that's another kind of connection to the Cthulhu cult. I don't think it's ever clearly established he's involved in that cult, that particular... Cause he's, he's involved in something, right? Um, Something beyond just collecting information of, of the past. He's actually after um, some kind of deeper cosmic evil here or, or, or threat. But it's not clear what it is. But the fact that he's associated with Bravo Portuguese is, is a sign that it is something on the level of, of the Cthulhu cult here. Um, and we see Kerwin really back to work. Back to work almost immediately. He gives up no time. He's digging up bodies. You know, he's doing his grave robbing, he's raising people, getting information. At the same time, he's trying to learn all he can about the modern world. Now, here's where we get to the Ben Franklin thing. The It's never clearly stated. We know from a letter later uh, between 
Kerwin and and you know Orn. Orn's still around, I guess. He's managed to stay alive. Uh, that I think Orn says he'd like BF, just BF. Um, now it's actually mentioned earlier in the story where um, Ward gets into trouble for because he starts ordering bodies. He starts ordering dead bodies for experiments, and you know there's a market for this kind of thing. This this goes way back and that's a, that's his own kind of creepy uh subtext here too is that you, you can just sort of buy bodies if you want um for whatever kinds of things um but he's doing that and the police kind of catch on that he's ordering weird stuff and, and investigate that and then it finds out that the body is someone really important someone like that if it got exposed who this was would be like a shameful thing and really kind of horrifying quote uh, a recently arrested vagrant under promise of immunity from prosecution and any additional charge at least consent at last consented to guide a party of troopers to the spot where there was found in that hasty cache a very hideous and shameful thing it would not be well for this national or even the international sense of decorum if the publicity if the public ever knew what was uncovered by these awestruck party there's no mistaking it for even those far from studious offices and telegrams to washington ensured with feverish rapidity um, so they catch him doing this, and it's it's kind of Ben Franklin, and that's what I think. That's what the suggestion is later on uh, in the next page. But they actually track down Ward as the buyer of these bodies, and he's like, he finds out who it is, and he sort of makes an excuse. Now, I'm not. Sh- yeah, I think this is a this is Ward still, not 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 Kerwin, dressed you know, faking as as Ward. Um, and he says, "Well, I didn't know that this was it," and they kind of let him go, but. Um, it's, you know, it's kind of funny, but you know, this idea that he's raising up Ben Franklin or, or trying to to get some kind of information out of him. Uh, but anyways, um, now one thing running throughout the story, especially these middle chapters, chapters three and four, is this effort by people like Willett and the other alienists to go back throughout the story. And we're kind of encouraged to do the same thing as readers to go back and kind of say, well, what point did, did Kerwin go or did Charles Dixon go mad? Right. Or once we know what's going on, at what point did, did Kerwin take over this, the place of Ward and kill, kill Ward. Um, now that's all presented in like this proof of sanity, right? Like what letter um, proves that, you know, at what, at what point is the textual evidence proof of insanity right and they look at things like the handwriting the style of 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 talk the you know his changing interests and all that and will keep saying no there's a later moment where the madness takes place the madness being really the murder of ward and the replacement of his role in society by by kerwin who doesn't do a very good job of it obviously he kind of bungles it pretty quickly but he tries now this this in this letter then this february 9th letter that Dr. Willett received is kind of the last evidence of Ward's sanity. It's also the letter that gets Ward killed, it seems, um, because it's a warning. Where he it's he writes it to Dr. Willett and say basically like, meet me here. We're gonna need like all day to talk about it. I'm gonna tell you the story, and you're gonna find out everything you need to know, and you'll you'll understand it at the end. It must be done. So meet me as soon as you can. I think he gets a time time and place, and he says like, if you see Dr. Allen, shoot him on sight and dissolve his body in acid, don't burn it. So he actually says will it, to Willett, you have to commit this this crime of, of murdering this person, and it's cosmic in consequence. So again, we get another piece of evidence that it's not just 
they're not just uh, kind of creepy necromantic librarians. They they're into something much deeper that they've been working on for for since the 17th century, maybe even earlier. He says, uh, "Okay, my life and reason are the least of things which hang in the balance." Um, I don't know how much good they can do, for they have against them forces which even you can scarcely envision or acknowledge. So come quickly, if you wish to see me alive and hear how you may help save the cosmos from stark hell. Now, we are never told fully what Kerwin was, what Kerwin's up to, but it's definitely more, right, as we can see from this. And at least, at least Ward thinks so. And I think that's, that's a fun aspect of the story. Like, in the other later Lovecraft stories, we tend to sort of, know, we kind of know what's going on. Uh... You know the consequences, the, the how how high the stakes are. We kind of know in most cases. Maybe thing at the doorstep, it's a little bit um, vaguer if there's something behind it. Um, but in most of the other stories, we we kind of see this the stakes, like especially the Dunwich horror. But not here. We're only seeing a fraction of it, right? So um, so Willet gets the message, and he. You know, it's at this point, somewhere around this this time, that Ward is killed. So Willard goes to investigate and goes to seek out Ward, and Ward has, has sort of changed. So it's Kerwin now, but he'll, he'll talk in like, say, "Oh, I was just fooling. I was just crazy." That's what the excuse he always gives is like, "It was my nerves, right? All this research has messed up my nerves." That's the, the line he keeps repeating constantly to anyone who asks, "Like, what's up with you?" You know, he says, "Like, oh, it's my nerves. I've been jostled by the by the weird stuff I've been into." Right. I just need to recover. I need to rest. He, that's how he explains his changed handwriting. Uh, I think he even switches hands. He starts writing left-handed or something. Um, you know, and then he's got those physical changes. All these things talked about in the very first chapter. This is when they really take place in this section. And that's because it's, it's, it's not Charles Dexter Ward anymore. It's, it's 100% Kerwin just pretending to be Ward so he can kind of live out. This is the old trick. This is what Warren... Well, the old trick was disappear for a while, come back as the son, right? As the grown-up son who's returned home uh, after the father died to take over the estate or whatever. But if you die, the trick is this. Get a descendant later on to raise you, and then you, then you can kill him and live forever. Carry on your, your family line and start all over again, right? But... The too much time has passed, so he's just too weird. He's just too out of place. And that's where the humor in the story, this story's not very funny, but there is some humor here, and that's really where it comes in, is where we see Kerwin just struggling to talk to people, right? They even comment how, yeah, yeah, some people are antiquarian and have these antique interests. Very few start talking like, you know, 18th century English. They don't, as much as they like that, they still communicate in standard English of the time, but... This guy starts talking like he's from the 18th century. You know, he doesn't understand some basics of like banking. That's that's how he ends up getting caught, right? Is he he doesn't he can't sign the checks, right? He starts right to, to fake it. He starts typing his letters to to uh, the ward parents, and he starts does he starts writing less and less because frankly, Kerwin's not that interested in those those people. Um, he also has like really, really specific knowledge of like the 18th century that even an antiquarian would not know. And then he forgets the basic stuff about the modern world, right? But he starts knowing like some details about what show was on a Thursday in Providence and he doesn't know how to make a cup of coffee. 
Now he sort of knows it. So there's this intervention where where Willet kind of intervenes after seeing these weird letters and things in the new style of writing. He intervenes, and here's the excuse of of quote unquote Ward. I was coming to that. You must know I am very bad state of nerves and do and say queer things I can't account for. As I have told you often, I'm at the edge of great matters, and the bigness of them has a way of making me lightheaded. Any man might well be frightened of what I have found, but I am not to be put off for long. I was a dunce to have that guard and stick at home for having gone this far. My place is here. I am not well spoken by my prying neighbors, and perhaps I was led by wickedness to believe myself what they say of me. There is an evil to any of... There's no evil in any of what I do so long as I do it rightly. Have goodness to wait six months and I'll show you what will pay your patience well. So he talked about that. But there's there's other weird things that are kind of clues for Willett, such as like he moves his library and lab to this new house in Patuxic, but he doesn't, it seems he doesn't move all the stuff or the, it's not all there in that house, right? And we find out later on where it's all being sent. It's all back into his catacombs where, he, where his real lab is. His real lab is deeper under the ground. So Lovecraft very carefully puts all the clues so you can kind of follow along um, with Willet as you kind of unveil this mystery. I think that's what's so great about this this story. I think it um, it's a lot of fun to read. And I think you can see how Lovecraft kind of plotted it all out very carefully. Um, the fact that he never published it means he never really revised it, as far as I know. Um, he never planned to get it published. and But it works. It holds up, right? It doesn't seem to need to have been edited or revised too much. Now, that, this kind of intervention ends inconclusively, but uh, Mr. Ward and Willett sit down and talk, and they basically decide, or Willett is basically enlisted to continue to investigate and to uh, check things out. Um, and that's what he's going to do. And that, that brings us to the climax of the story and the final part, which is basically centering on Willett's investigation um, set in the aftermath of, of Charles Dexter Ward's confinement. Um, so as we get to the last section, there's, there's a couple things to talk about. One is, I guess, um, the, 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 the arrest of, of, of Joseph Kerwin, of Charles Dexter Ward, right? What catches him is like his signet, like his signature, forging signatures on, on checks. Like he doesn't really, he can't fake the signature. Now he tries to say, well, it's my nerves again. He uses that same excuse that his nerves are failing, but the bank doesn't buy it. And, and so they... They basically invest, you know, check into this, investigate into this. And now it, Willett kind of sees it and and sees the handwriting and the letters and things and kind of sees it as familiar because he, he saw the research materials that Charles Dexter Ward had kind of collected on Kerwin. So he's seen Kerwin's handwriting before. But of course, you know, you're not going to make that connection right away. Right. It's not that obvious. It's not a. It's not a 40-minute TV show he's writing here where you have to make that connection right away to move on to the next plot point. It's, it's, you know, it's something he doesn't put together. We can't, when you read the story a few times, a lot of these connections seem obvious, but if you read it through the first time and you kind of try to understand Willett's point of view and the limits of his knowledge, it, it actually makes sense that he doesn't put this stuff together because who does? You might say that handwriting is like familiar, but you're not going to know whose it is, right? Exactly, or where you saw it before. Um, so anyway, they investigate. 
ward, and eventually he gets thrown in in the asylum. He gets put in the asylum where we found him at the beginning part of the book. So that's one part that happens at the end. So that kind of opens the door then for Willa to investigate pretty freely the the domain of, of Joseph Kerwin. But he still at this point thinks it's ward under some kind of mental strain or psychosis, some kind of mental illness. Because even at this point, Will it even starts to say, this is when the madness began, right? Of course, when he's saying this stuff, he already knows the reality. He's just covering up the reality because it's too horrible to, um, to know. Now, the other thing we have in this end of the chapter are these letters between um, Kerwin, uh, Simon Orne, and this other guy, uh, who Edward H. These are his old friends from the 18th century still alive. And here's where we get the, like the letter from Orne to Kerwin saying he would really like BF. He would like, uh, quote, in my next sending, there will be somewhat from a hill tomb from the east that will delight you greatly. Meanwhile, forget I am, forget not I am desirous of BF. If you could possibly get him for me, you know G in Philadelphia better than I. So the connection, Philly connection, the, the suggestion that this, Grave robbing was like a historical and national kind of shame. The BF initials, it's pretty clear we're talking about Ben Franklin here. Um, so these letters kind of, these, these are things that Willett sort of gets his hands on, investigating the, Charles Dexter Ward's house. Um, but they definitely suggest he's into something weird, like yeah, certainly, certainly the talking about... Um, the young man and the, you know, talking about Ward in the third person, not in the first person. So it's obviously psychologically a different person. The, the strange handwriting, the strange style of writing, all these things, um, you know, suggest there's something weird going on. Um, now, as for the relationship between Dr. Allen and Kerwin, um, it's not quite established yet. Um, Quote, no amount of learned sophistry could convert the fact that the strangely bearded and spectacled Dr. Elm of who Charles' fantastic letters has spoken as such a monstrous message was in close and sinister correspondence with two unexplicable creatures whom Ward had visited on his travels and who plainly claimed to be survivals or avatars of Kerwin's old Salem colleagues. End quote. So that's the, the closest conclusion they get, right? You know, we, kn we know Kerwin was in these places in Europe earlier in his life when he traveled there. Um, probably talked with these people, learned some methods from these very people, right? That they, they helped in some way. Um, and we know they were associated with with Kerwin, you know, whether they're survivals or avatars or descendants, it's not really clear, but there's that that relationship. And, and they're kind of blaming Alan here as the one. Maybe he's the one, I think they think he's the one who writes actually the letters that are Joseph C., um, but again, it's one of those things in hindsight, you say, why didn't you put it together right away with the way they sign it? Joseph C or Simon O things like that. But it's, you know, it's not always obvious, I guess, to, 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 to people. I think that's what, again, this story is kind of believable in the way kind of the mystery unfolds. You know, not everyone is able to, you know, not everyone is Sherlock Holmes, right? And, and can pierce into the other. Willett's just a doctor, right? Just trying to do his part to help the Ward family. So uh, I guess this is like another section of the story that sort of gets you there, gets you to the big climax. 
um, which is the Willard investigation and then the final confrontation with Joseph Kerwin. So I'll talk about that in the next episode as well as talk about my overall feelings about this novel um, and its themes and its importance. Uh, I think it's it's obviously his most Atlantic, one of his most historical, if not his most historical, historically conscious work. So it's very, very relevant if you want to have any kind of window into his theory of history, um, at least as presented in his literature. We'll, we'll see a lot of this in his letters, of course. Um, I think the theme of forgetting is very, very strong here, stronger here than maybe anywhere else. It's also a story in which they successfully um, hide the past, right? That's not always successful. We see like in the horror Red Hook, they, Red Hook's destroyed, but the kind of the cult escapes. Uh, Call of Cthulhu, there's a suggestion that, you know, obviously Cthulhu still lives and the cult still lives. It's global. Can't put it down. Uh, in most, in a lot of these stories, it's still out there, right? Dunwich, I guess, is, has a more definitive end. Um, but this one also has a free, pretty clear definitive end. We see the end of Joseph Kerwin and the success of abolishing the past. So that's what we'll get to in the next and final episode of this series on, on um, the case of Charles Dexter Ward. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, again, it's one of my favorite stories, and I enjoy talking about it and thinking about it. So uh, let me know what you think, though. Uh, give me your old thoughts below, um, and I will hopefully get back soon, you know, to you and, and respond to you in some way. So thanks, as always, for listening, and I will see you next time. Yeah.